You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Cyber attacks in Russia's war so far and their future prospects. The Lazarus Group may be employing a new backdoor. Plasiopa targets materials research organizations. Ransomware interferes with food production. Evernote is used in a BEC campaign to bypass security filters. Identity-based cyber attacks. Pirated versions of Final Cut Pro deliver crypto miners. Hala Barlow has thoughts on Twitter, Mudge, and lessons learned. Mark Van Zadelhoff from Cyber CEO's Decoded podcast speaks with Amanda Renteria, CEO of Code for America, about attracting diverse talent. And what have the scalper bots been up to lately? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Today marks the end of the first year of Russia's war against Ukraine, that special military operation, as official Russia calls it has been surprising, especially in its duration and in the stark contrast between Russian and Ukrainian combat performance. It's perhaps been most surprising in the way in which Russian cyber offensives have fallen so far short of expectations. In the course of reviewing five predictions made at the outset of the war, Breaking Defense concludes that cyber has not been the game-changer it was widely expected to be, The analysis concludes that the much-discussed and much-feared cyber Pearl Harbor didn't materialize for two main reasons. First, cyber weapons, as Breaking Defense puts it, are generally one-time use. That is, once they're employed, they're blown, and not easy to reuse against a prepared and responsive defender. Second, effective defense and resilience have been shown to be possible. The analysis says... Even the most obvious and expected use of cyber attacks, the degradation of civilian infrastructure like the electrical grid, has come entirely from kinetic effects. 
Cyber operations haven't been irrelevant, and skirmishes in cyberspace have marked Russia's war since before its troops crossed the Ukrainian border. But they haven't been decisive, and on the Russian side at least, haven't been well integrated into a combined arms effort. It seems unlikely to breaking defense that any surprises will develop, they write, and while it is possible that Russia still has some unused capabilities, that seems unlikely since the Russian strategic situation has become desperate with no new capabilities becoming evident. That likely means they do not exist. None of this means that Russian operators haven't been trying. Their attempted cyber attacks have maintained a high operational tempo. The record cites a report by the Netherlands General Intelligence and Security Service and Military Intelligence and Security Service. That report says that there have been many more attacks than have so far come to light, stating, Before and during the war, Russian intelligence and security services engaged in widespread digital espionage, sabotage, and influencing against Ukraine and NATO allies. But again, the attacks have been poorly integrated with other arms, and their effects have been lost in the overwhelming noise of kinetic destruction inflicted by missile and artillery fire, bits and bites lost in the crack and ammoniacal stench of high explosives. Other cyber espionage groups remain active, of course, and active in places other than Ukraine. ESET this morning reports that North Korea's Lazarus Group may be deploying a new backdoor, Winor DLL-64, through its Wislink downloader. The researchers write, the Winor DLL-64 payload serves as a backdoor that most notably acquires extensive system information, provides means for file manipulation, such as exfiltration, overwriting, and removing files, and executes additional commands. Interestingly, it communicates over a connection that was already established by the Wislink loader. The connection to the Lazarus group is circumstantial but convincing. Its development environment, behavior, and code show overlap with known Lazarus samples, and the victimology is consistent with observed Lazarus targeting. Symantec describes a previously unobserved threat actor the company calls Classiopa that targeted a materials research firm in Asia. The threat actor uses a combination of publicly available and custom-made malware tools, including a bespoke remote-access Trojan called Athervan. Classiopa also may have abused two legitimate software packages in its attacks. Symantec says there's no firm evidence pointing to who might be behind Classiopa. Some of the threat actor's malware contains references to India and Hinduism, but the researchers believe these are too obvious. They could well be false flags. Noticed a shortage of prepackaged salads in the produce aisle? You're not alone. A ransomware attack on Dole PLC led the company to interrupt operations at its North American processing plants, CNN Business reports. A February 10th memo from the senior vice president of the company's Fresh Vegetables division said, Dole Food Company is in the midst of a cyber attack and have subsequently shut down our systems throughout North America. The shutdown affected deliveries of salad kits to food retailers. The specific strain of ransomware involved has not been publicly disclosed. Avanon warned today that attackers are abusing the note-taking app Evernote to host malicious links they're distributing in a business email compromise scam. 
Avanon researchers observed an attack in which an account belonging to the president of an organization was compromised. The attackers used the account to send phishing emails with a link to an Evernote page purporting to contain a secure message. The Evernote page hosted a link to a credential harvesting phishing site. Identity and access management platform provider ORT this morning released their 2023 State of Identity Security Report, which details prevalent identity attacks that occurred in 2022, the weaknesses in multi-factor authentication, and related issues in the IAM industry. Researchers reference this month's attack on Reddit, where attackers were capable of getting both a password and one-time password from the victim, as well as attacks from cybercriminal gang Octopus. Octopus targeted Twilio and are suspected of having targeted Coinbase. Such incidents have motivated a push from the security community toward phishing resistance MFA, as the use of these strong second factors has only accounted for 1.8% of all logins. Just over 40% of organizations observed had a weak MFA or none at all, showing a lot of holes for attackers to potentially exploit. On average, just under a quarter of a company's accounts are dormant, and these often have fewer activity monitors and controls in place. Ort found, for example, that in August 2022, password-guessing attacks by threat group APT29 targeted dormant mailboxes. The cybercriminals guessed the password of an account that had not been set up correctly. Research from the last two months of 2022 also showed an average of just over 500 attack attempts against inactive accounts. Researchers at Jamf have discovered a new family of macOS crypto mining malware. The malware is evasive and can sometimes pass security measures on machines running macOS Ventura. The malware is delivered via a malicious version of Final Cut Pro, which has been modified to install the XM rig miner in the background. The researchers discovered the software being offered on Pirate Bay. Since crypto mining requires a significant amount of processing power, Jamf says it is likely that the ongoing advancements in Apple ARM processors will make macOS devices even more attractive targets for crypto jacking. Want to reduce this risk and others like it? Stay away from pirated software. Natasia yesterday released their quarterly index, Top 5 Scalper Bot Targets of the Fourth Quarter of 2022, detailing the most scalped items. The research found that PlayStation 5 consoles came in at number 5, but the resale value of the consoles diminished in the C2C markets as Sony was able to begin replenishing their stock, thus reducing supply-side pressure on prices. Nike Dunk Low Panda sneakers topped the list, followed by two different Air Jordan sneaker pairs. And lover, yes, you there, wearing a cardigan and on your white horse. Yes, you. Are you ready for it? You knew this all too well, but in an unsurprising fourth place, we have the highly publicized Taylor Swift Eras Tour tickets, resold at exorbitant prices. Some have been seen as high as $31,000. So who didn't make the top five? Well, given the chip shortages late last year, some favorites didn't even place or show, while NVIDIA 40 series graphics cards, as well as Apple's iPhone 14 Pro Max, were the target of much scalping by dips when there weren't so many chips. 
movies didn't find their way into the top five. Not yet, anyway. Coming up after the break, Caleb Barlow has thoughts on Twitter, Mudge, and lessons learned. Mark Van Zadelhoff from Cyber CEO's Decoded podcast speaks with Amanda Renteria, CEO of Code for America, about attracting diverse talent. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Mark Van Zedelhoff is host of the Cyber CEO's Decoded podcast, part of N2K's CyberWire network. Today, we're featuring a segment from a recent interview Mark did with Amanda Renteria, CEO of Code for America. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Amanda is the first uh, Mexican-American woman from a small town to be accepted to Stanford University, where you did, you were on the basketball team there. Uh, earned a, a BA in economics and political science with honors. Uh, after undergrad, you spent four years in the private sector in Los Angeles as an investment analyst. So you honed your your skills there. You went to a small school near me called Harvard Business School, and you focused on public <laughs> nonprofit management. And then after graduation, you had the most fascinating career uh, in the public sector. Uh, when I met you, you were working for, I believe, for Senator Feinstein when, uh, when I met you. When you first met me, yeah, it might have been Senator Feinstein. Yeah. But you also worked for the city of San Jose, a special consultant, had a lot of experiences. So walk us through, you, know, you got out of uh, HBS, Harvard Business School. Today, our Code for America running this, we're, we're going to spend some time about in a few minutes, but give us the, the middle of that sandwich. Yeah. 
So it was interesting because I went to Harvard Business School, not exactly knowing where my path was going to go. But before I had worked at Goldman Sachs and I'd also um, went home to teach and coach in my hometown. And so I was trying to figure out what's the in-between of that, right? And so that's why I went to the city of San Jose. And everyone thought I was crazy when I graduated. Um, but I really got to see some of the inner workings. And then from city of San Jose, I ended up um, getting on the Hill, working for Feinstein, working for um, Senator Stabenow as her chief of staff during a really interesting time where the Affordable Care Act passed, where we had a restructuring of the auto industry. It did lead me to, to recognize that how can I help actually expand the perspectives of who is at the table, who's writing laws, who's thinking about these things. I mean, I still remember the testimony where folks said the internet was a you know bunch of tubes. And when I looked at my colleagues who are younger and my age, you know, we're like, what is going on? Like, uh, but anyway, that led me to really explore the politics side. So both running for Congress, but then also um, being asked to be Hillary's national political director uh, in 2016. Hillary, what was it like working with Hillary? What's what's that really like? Yeah, um, it was a uh, incredible, intense competitive, just in general, you know, environment in the world to try and win a presidential election. So I'll say she's incredibly smart and um, just really, um, when you think of an executive and you think of an executive with just a depth of experience, um, who wants to lean into a world that looks different, particularly for women, it was eye-opening. It was eye-opening in a lot of ways. One, the seriousness by which she brought, because she was at the State Department, she understood this international global world at a time when we weren't having a discussion about Russia and Ukraine, right? She understood what was at stake when it came to women. And like, so in some ways I felt like being on that campaign, I was getting an early view with like a extremely smart professor who could see, you know, the edges of what we live in today. Those are the best bosses, right? I mean, you said like three things, you know, encouraging, you know, balance interested in in you as a person and then still demanding excellence, right? And I think sometimes you have a boss that does one or the other, but uh, all three, it's great. So just leadership style. How would you describe your leadership style? What are your core things that you do? Well, it's funny. You're just coming off of like a week of having my uh, executive team together in person, in the same room, but for the first time ever in two and a half years, largely because we were built in crisis mode. Right. And so in some ways we've gotten really good at reactionary, but um, it's very much like basketball team. (laughs) Right. I mean, I do see it very much as a coach to a team, largely because I call Code for America. We're a little bit nonprofit. We're a little bit technology company and we're a little bit government. So the truth is no one on my executive team could actually on the one hand, we're a team because not everyone's a good three point shot. Right. Not everyone's a good big man. And so that's my style is it's much more of a coaching, how are we going to do this kind of style together? Because it's also modeling for our teams that are very, very, very cross-functional. But I mean, I got to say it, we have fun while we do this and it's hard stuff. Um, But we as a team, I would say I'm pretty based on we've got the play, go run. What are some tips for cyber CEOs or any managers in the cyber space and how to bring diverse talent into the workforce? Um, Be intentional. For us, we have, from the very beginning, our executive team is 
majority women and people of color. We look at metrics all the time. So every single all staff, right, we have our metrics of how are things looking. And over the course of time, we've really moved the needle. But I'll also say I worked on the front lines and we tell those stories um, so that not only that you're comfortable um, coming into Code for America, and we're still always working on that, but that you see yourself in not only our mission, but what it could be for someone else and it be better than your experience. As I said before, like if you don't have a good three-point shot, right? Like your team, it, it hurts the team, right? If you don't have a big man. And our work is so spread in these different areas that we need that kind of, um, yeah, we just need that kind of involvement. So Amanda, I'm going to close it out there. Thank you so much for joining uh, Cyber CEOs Decoded. Great to see you. Take care. That's Mark Van Zadelhoff from the Cyber CEOs Decoded podcast, speaking to his guest, Amanda Renteria. You can find the Cyber CEOs Decoded podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do check it out. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Caleb Barlow. He is the founder and CEO at Silite. Uh, Caleb, it's always great to welcome you back. I want to touch base with you and get kind of a reality check on on some of the things that we're seeing over at Twitter. Uh, lots of changes over there. And uh, I have no doubt you have some insights here, some perspectives. Well, you know, Dave, now it's been a few months after the explosive congressional testimony of Mudge Zatko and, you know, Elon Musk actually now. Well, he owns Twitter. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about what we can learn from this episode. And I, and I think we first have to acknowledge that this fiasco at Twitter had the makings of a Hollywood script. You know, we had the world's richest man, at, at least at the time, um, <laughs> along with a well-known and somewhat controversial security leader alleging very serious security vulnerabilities at the social network as part of what was a, you know, and I, I think this is important to underscore, a legal disclosure of a whistleblower complaint. But once we get past all the hype, I, I think there's a couple of things that we really need to take away and learn from this. So first off, you know, a lot of what was discussed here and, and later verified, I mean, what of course is also interesting is Elon stepped in, a lot of this stuff got validated versus swept under the rug. You know, we're past the point where security basics aren't material. You know, and I think a most simple way to look at this, and of course the dialogue at Twitter was largely around identity and access and separation of duties and who had access to all these Twitter accounts. And of course it ended up being almost everybody. But, yeah. you know, let, let's put it in the most basic way, right? If you do not have endpoint protection in place, network segmentation, logging of security controls, that, that we're in the realm of negligence, especially if you're a public company. And hmm. now none of the 52 different breach disclosure laws call that out that simply, but I think one of the things that this really brought to light, especially not so much in the, you know, the congressional testimony, but what was playing out on LinkedIn is people look at this and go, hey, this just isn't acceptable anymore not to have these kind of security controls in place. Well, and and what about, you know, we saw the, the sort of... Um you know, folks fleeing the organization. There were so many high-level people who who left Twitter uh, and, and certainly many who were let go. But to what degree do you think that was a kind of a, a reflection that uh, I can't stick around if this is what's going on? 
Well, I think this is a really important point in this kind of episode. Now, you know, there's this importance of standing up when things aren't getting fixed from a cybersecurity perspective versus, you know, just taking the title, being in the role, getting bonused and promoted, and not saying anything. And what, what is fascinating about this situation at Twitter is as Mudge stood up and gave his testimony, particularly on LinkedIn, you saw people kind of taking sides, right? On one hand, you had people saying, hey, these security vulnerabilities are awful. This isn't acceptable. On the other hand, you had people saying, hey, what he's doing isn't acceptable. You know, every CISO steps into a role where there are problems and issues. And part of this is the job to get it done. But the question I come back on is all those other people that were kind of running for the gates when this was going down, there were a lot of security people at Twitter. Where are the internal disclosures? You know, did these other people kick and scream? You know, I don't think anyone is expecting everyone to take it to the extreme that Mudge did and file a whistleblower complaint. But if these alleged vulnerabilities were actually happening, there should be a whole series of internal disclosures from these security professionals highlighting the risk. And I'm sure there were plenty of people in meetings looking at these issues, but if they didn't take the step of actually saying, no, this isn't acceptable on those internal meetings and disclosures, and you know, you've got things you have to do for Sarbanes-Oxley every quarter, like, where mm. is this stuff? You know, there's a great quote from Martin Luther King. Not that MLK was in any way focused on cyber with this quote. I mean, that was clearly before his <laughs> I'm time. I'm hanging in here with you, Caleb. Okay? I'm hanging in here. <laughs> but I, I think this really applies, right? In the yeah. end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Martin Luther King, uh, right? Okay. okay. And I think yeah. that really applies here, right? Where one of the things we can't have is just one person staying, standing up saying, hey, something's wrong here. Where is everybody else in their duty to act in this situation? What about, uh, where's your loyalty, Caleb? Where's your, you know, move fast and break things? We don't, you know, we don't have time for those pesky sorts of uh, ethics. Well, I think that's where this dialogue got really interesting in some of the LinkedIn dialogues. And this is probably one of the most important takeaways that I think executives need to recognize. You know, your own employees, contractors, and partners are going to turn you in if you aren't following security basics. There are whistleblower provisions now from the SEC and pretty much any party selling to the government. Now, although we haven't seen a ton of cases unfold here yet, I mean, there's just, there's just not a lot of case law in place yet. These laws are in place and they're likely coming. And although this, this example had, you know, actors coming right out of central casting, I, I think we've got to start to look at this much like the case of how we would look at financial fraud, right? Mm. If someone was cooking the books, there would be a whole bunch of people standing up and saying, hey, this isn't acceptable. You know, cyber fraud is really right in line with financial fraud because if you don't have basic security provisions in place, or worse yet, these security provisions are being breached, you're committing fraud and this is material. And do you think that's where we're headed? I very much do. But the key here is... It's not going to do any good if people are just disclosing these things. We're going to have to see regulators catch up and actually go in and prosecute some of these. All right. Well, interesting insights. Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com cyberwire.